Well, we're in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to begin today in verse 5, and we're going to talk about praying without hypocrisy. Praying without hypocrisy. Now, you'll remember that Jesus is speaking on the side of a hill where his disciples and the scribes and Pharisees and a multitude of other people uh, are gathered. And in Jesus' sermon, the whole Sermon on the Mount, which begins in chapter 5, he's showing the contrast between true spiritual life, what God defines as spiritual life, and the false standards of the Pharisees of that day, the religious people. And so in this part of the sermon, Jesus is dealing with hypocrisy. He began by dealing with hypocrisy in general. And then last week, we talked about hypocrisy in giving. And so in today's text, Jesus is showing that their praying was hypocritical. Jesus continues to challenge their self-righteousness. Now, you remember that the Pharisees were so proud of themselves, and, and they thought that what they did was wonderful and good, and that they were so right, and that God ought to be pleased with them, that God ought to let them into his kingdom based on their own merits. And so Jesus is challenging that self-righteous to try to get themselves, get them to cast themselves on the mercy of God, to try to get them to see that they need a Savior and that he's it. And so it's also good, even though he's talking to the Pharisees, it's a good lesson for the disciples that were sitting there. They're already believers, but it's easy for the world to rub off on you, isn't it? You may know what God's word says believe, but if you hang a lot with people who believe differently, then you're going to begin to kind of um, mold toward their way of thinking. And so it's great teaching for the disciples because they needed to be careful. Uh, turn with me just right quick to Luke chapter 12 and verse 1, and let me show you something. kind of gives a good summary. <clears throat> Luke chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of the multitude had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, Jesus begins saying to his disciples, first of all, now watch, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is what? Hypocrisy. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, there's a lot in here about leaven, and we know all the lessons about leaven leavening the whole lump. And you know that you only have to put a little bit of leaven in bread to make the whole loaf rise. And so that's what he's talking about. He's warning them about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, even in that place. So hypocrisy can find its way easily, I'm afraid into the life of a believer and it can ease its way in and sometimes unless we are really seeking the Lord and walking closely with the Lord we don't know it's there and so it's good for them to hear now prayer was a major issue among the Jews uh, in the Jewish faith prayer was a priority and the Hebrew people held prayer to an incredibly high standard but their praying had been invaded by hypocrisy. It had begun to mold to the hypocritical praying of the other Jews. Pharisees were Jews. Uh, you know, it, it had begun to infiltrate, infiltrate uh, 
their religion, the whole religion. And so what were some of the faults? What were some of the, the faults that crept into the prayer life of the Hebrew people? Well, let's read verses 5 through 8, and then we'll go back and talk, to, talk about them. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And Jesus said, and when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, so it's expected, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. In other words, that's what they want. That's what they're going to get. But, verse 6, you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So what are the faults? What are, what are the hip, hypocritical things in their praying that he's dealing with? Well, first thing is that prayer had become a ritual. Instead of communing with God and pouring out their hearts to, to the Lord, then prayer was just a routine. It was just the next thing you did. You said a quick prayer. You just went on, and that's what you did because it was part of the routine. Um, let me just say it's easy for us to be guilty of the same, isn't it? You know, we need structured prayer. We need scheduled prayer. But how many of us ask a blessing real quick on the, over food and don't think about what we're saying? So it's, it's what I'm saying. It's easy to slide into this mindset. And Jesus is calling it hypocrisy. So prayer can become a ritual, a routine. And, you know, we can just toss a few sentences to God, just toss a few comments to God and go on and not be all that serious about it. Now, please understand when I say something like that, that's not always wrong. I mean, I find myself making comments to God all day, but it comes from an awareness of God's presence. And so, but when that's all you do, then there is a separation there's an interruption in the fellowship and communion that we can have with God through an active prayer life. So it's easy to say prayers that have little meaning. We just spout one off. So the Jews had prayers that were composed and memorized for everything. Uh, it's fascinating to read about that. And you think, where did all this come from? But Jews had prayers for light. They had prayers for darkness. They had prayers for fire. They had prayers for rain. There were all these things written down. Somebody had written, and they memorized them. Uh, they had prayers for when they received good news. They had prayers for when they received bad news. It just goes on and on and on. And so you were traveling. You had certain prayers. And so the common habit was to learn all those prayers, and when that happened, just recite the prayer. I don't know how they remembered all that stuff, but they did. And um, whenever something happened, you just rattled off a prayer that was in the book, was in the prayer book. So the original intention was a good one. That's usually the way it is, isn't it? We have good original intentions that just kind of fade out. But um, the original intention was to bring everything into the presence of God, to show awareness of God 
in all things and for everything that happened to draw them to God, to turn their attention to God. But it evolved into just a commitment to just a prescribed, um, pre-digested, pre-developed prayer that you just, just uttered. And so prayer became something one did at certain times. It was not like a, an ongoing life conversation with the Creator. It just a certain time came, a certain thing happened, then you spouted off this prayer and you didn't pray, they didn't ever pray apart from those specified times. If it wasn't a specified time, they just didn't pray. So <clears throat> prayer was not a way of life for them. Prayer for us as a believer, as believers, is a way of life. It's constant communion and fellowship with the Father. But to them, it was so strictly set to certain hours, there was no communion with God or no fellowship with God involved in their praying. So then they also decided that it was spiritual to pray long prayers. And understand nothing is wrong with long prayers. But if it's real prayer, it's good. If it's just saying the same thing, just something to make it long. So you just blabber on and on and on and on just to make it long because you think God's going to be impressed with long. You're missing it. It's not working. Uh, look at Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> For one second. Mark chapter 12 and verse 40. <clears throat> well, let me start in verse 38 so I can start at the beginning of the sentence. Mark 12, verse 38. And in Jesus' teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearances' sake offer long prayers. See that? These will receive greater condemnation. So it was their habit. And so they just thought for appearance' sake. They thought it would make them look holy. Um, so there's something wrong with long prayer if your purpose is to impress somebody with it. If your purpose is to impress them with how long you can pray. But the rabbis believed that God only heard long prayers. Well, now we know that's not so because of prayers that are recorded in Scripture. But that's what they thought. And that's how they were, were um, standardizing their prayer lives. That's what they thought they needed to do. So um, today it can be easy to confuse lots of words with holiness and devotion to God. It's just something in our flesh. It's just there. And so we're to be careful about that. But what would happen is that sometimes to make their prayers long, they sometimes resorted to what Scripture calls vain repetition. So to get it longer, they'd just repeat something over and over and over and over again. The pagans did that. I'm going to show you something here in a minute. But, but they believed that if they repeated themselves enough that God would get tired, tired of hearing it and do what they said. And so that was the mindset. <clears throat> you do that with your children, don't you? You ever have a child just keep on and on and on about something, asking you for something, and finally you say, do it. You know, okay. 
Well, that's what they thought God was going to do, that God would get weary of hearing and do whatever they wanted. Now, this is so true of pagan religion. I want you to turn back with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. This is one of my favorite studies. Um, Elijah's one of my favorite characters, and I, uh, I may just have to break down sometime, and we'll do a character study on Elijah. But to show you um, a picture of what they thought, uh, in 1 Kings in chapter 18, um, this is uh, the story of Elijah and the prophets on Mount Carmel. And so it's been no rain for many years, for three years, I think it is. And so <clears throat> just, this has just been wheeling through my mind this morning. Uh, Felix Mendelssohn wrote an incredible oratorio called Elijah. If you love classical music, you need to get it out and listen to it. But it begins with the prophet Elijah in a solo saying, there will not be rain for these many years. And so then there's this overture. And then the first thing, there's this huge, massive chorus then that comes out with, help, Lord. And so the whole first song in the oratorio is asking the Lord for help. Well, <clears throat> the first time I heard that some years ago, I realized that pronouncing B-A-A-L as Baal was really Southern. And so in that, you'll hear the choir sing it as Baal. And if you do research it, what you're going to see is it's a two-syllable word, Baal. And so um, these are prophets of Baal, okay, or Baal, if you want to be in the South. And so <clears throat> he goes on here, and, and let's just begin reading in verse 18. Um, well, verse 17, it came about when Ahab, saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, is this you? You're the one that's troubling Israel. This is your fault that we don't have rain. And Elijah said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Now then send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long are you going to hesitate between two opinions? Now that's funny because in the original language it's limp on. How long are you going to limp, limp on between two opinions? And then he says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. So Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, what I want you to see in this passage is what their mindset was about praying. So he says, you've got 450 prophets here that can pray, and I'm one. Now watch. Verse 23, now let's give, let, let them give us two oxen, and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood. 
but put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I will not put a fire under it. <clears throat> then you will call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord God, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people said, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. That, that's what we'll do. And so Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first for you are many and call on the name of your God, but don't put any fire under it. So they took the ox which was given them and they prepared it and they called on the name of Baal. Watch from morning till noon. See that? Long prayers saying, oh Baal. Now watch the repetition. Oh Baal, answer us. And they kept on, but there was no voice and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar, which they made. And it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call, talk louder, for he's a God. Either maybe he's occupied or he's gone aside. The original language said he's gone to the, maybe he'd gone to the bathroom. Okay. Or maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's just asleep. Maybe he just need to wake him up. And so he's prodding them. So they cried with a loud voice and they cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And it came about when midday was past, that would be from about 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. They've been going through this. You call that a long prayer, right? About 3 o'clock when midday was past that they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So all the people came near to them, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Now, I think that's about 11, several gallons, a bunch of gallons of, of seed. Okay, so it was a trench. And then he arranged the wood, and he cut the ox in pieces, and he laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it again. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it again. And they did it a third time. So they're just pouring water on this wood that he's laid there, Right? And the water flowed around the altar and also filled the trench with water. Then it came about at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said. Now watch this. This is a prayer of 63 words. Okay? Watch what Elijah prays. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all the things at thy word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that thou, O Lord, art God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell on all that wet wood, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust 
and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. They said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So that's a picture of what they thought. It's what the pagans thought. It's what the, how the pagans thought they had to pray. They had to do something to get God's attention, something to convince him. And so what had happened <clears throat> from these pagans, the Jews had picked up on it. So they thought, well, <clears throat> if that's what they did, maybe that's what Jews needed to do. But the worst fault was that they prayed to be seen by men, not to be heard by God. <clears throat> so that's what Jesus is talking about here. If you go back to Matthew chapter 6. In verse 5, it tells us that hypocrites love to pray, but it tells us why they love to pray. Look at Matthew 6, verse 5. Jesus said, when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to what? Be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. So we already talked about this word hypocrite, that it means an actor on a stage. And so what they wanted, they wanted to be on the stage. They wanted to be like an actor in a theater. They were putting on a show for people so that the people would conclude that they were holy. So the issue that Jesus is dealing with is the motive in our prayers. The motive in our prayers. Our prayers to be, are to be offered to God not to men. <clears throat> you may have, through, the, through all of your years of being in churches and whatnot, did you ever hear somebody pray a prayer that you thought was a list of announcements? You know? And so Jesus is challenging our hearts about that. Understanding that we as believers can slide into this same mindset. And so Jesus is challenging that. Our prayers to be, are to be offered to God not to men. And so Satan is going to try to get in and invade our prayer lives. Our prayer lives are powerful. It is a holy time. And Satan will try to invade that, get in on that. And so Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, he's saying, you may be praying, but your prayers have fallen into Satan's temptation. You've got a fleshly attitude toward prayer. Your praying is about you. It's not about God. So Jesus condemns their prayers. And so they're praying to do what? To call attention to themselves. Well, in verse 6, Jesus tells us how to pray. He says, this is how you fix this. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay you. So he's saying to fix what your problem is and wanting to hear everybody, wanting everybody to see and hear you pray, you go to a place and pray privately. Now, the question is, do you want the reward of God or do you want the reward of men? He's saying if you're praying to get the admiration of these people, then you, you've got that. But if you are praying to get the response of God, you don't have that. God is not pleased. 
Now, let's hasten to say, <clears throat> I'm going to have to speed on here because I got a little bit of a late start. There is nothing wrong with public prayer. There is nothing wrong with public prayer. The point is that wherever you have communion with God, where it's, whether it's publicly or privately, then it is not to be a display. It is to be genuine communion between you and the Father. It is to be genuine, heartfelt communion with God, regardless of where it is, regardless of who hears it. Now, understand, I wish we had time to do this, but Scripture is full of public prayers. There's some incredible public prayers. Uh, Daniel opened his window to pray. People could hear Daniel pray. Incredible prayers from Nehemiah. So there's nothing wrong with public prayer. And the way some people learn to pray is to hear people pray in public. But the motive of the prayer is the issue. So verse 6, he says, if you pray to God in the right way, out of a pure heart, with the right motive, God himself is going to reward you. He is in charge of repaying you. And then he says, verse 7, do not use meaningless repetition. Well, isn't that what the, the prophets of Baal had been doing? Just saying the same thing over and over, over and over, and over and over. Uh, it's interesting, this uh, word when... Uh, is interesting because the Lord assumes we are going to pray. Prayer is normal for the life of a believer. It's just what you do. It's natural to a believer and we want to commune with him. But pagans believed that their gods were looking for many words. That they were looking for much speaking. And so uh, they thought God would respond. Their gods would respond because of all their repetition. Now let me hasten to say again, there's nothing wrong with repetition if it is right. You know, how do we know? How Paul prayed three times regarding the thorn in his flesh. Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so when it is an honest cry of a burdened heart, it's a legitimate prayer. But when you're just mouthing it over and over and over and over and over, um, mindless repetitions are not appealing to God. And so that's what he's showing us here. It's not like we are informing God of something that he doesn't already know. So in our praying, we're going to realize who God is and what he already knows. But Acts 19 tells us that multitudes of pagans would shout, great is Diana of the Ephesians, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And they would say that over and over again for two hours thinking that they would get the attention of Diana. So what happens when you do that over and over again? It produces a frenzy. And so their religions went different places. I've read that Muslims do that. That um, after a funeral, that 3,000 times they will say, Allah el Allah, Allah is God. 3,000 times. Jews, today, Orthodox Jews will genuflect for hours saying the same prayer over and over. You know, I, I've told you about um, my encounter with some Orthodox Jews that came through Bremen some years ago. They came by Callie's Alley and 
they wanted to use that property back there behind. And so the, when it came the time of day for prayer, man, they put on those hot black coats, coats and those hats, and they were out there doing this. Just walk the property over and over again. Repetition. Repetition. Catholics. Not meaning to offend, but it's there. Hail Mary, full of grace. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And they'll say it over and over and over in their rosary. So Jesus is cautioning us about what he calls vain repetitions. And so what he's saying is we're not to treat prayer indifferently. Verse 8, look at it. He says, therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so he says, look, God already knows what you need. We don't have to badger him. We don't have to con him. We don't have to force him with some kind of incessant phrase over and over. So here's what real prayer is, and we'll pick this up next week. Prayer is going to God with the needs of our hearts. An honest, transparent, sharing with God what is in your heart, what you feel like you need, what you want. You know, asking him to manifest his power, to display his glory, to show us his majesty and his love and his power and his care and his concern. It is communion, conversation, fellowship with God. And so what Jesus is saying is when you pray, you need to pray with a pure motive. A pure motive, a humble heart. And we pray knowing that God already knows. But sometimes we just need to say it out loud to him, even if we know he knows. What are we doing? We're joining him in that knowledge. We're depending on him. We are uniting with him. But we're going to, in real prayer, take our hearts to him. And then the hard word, we're going to wait. We're going to wait. So Jesus is teaching them about prayer, and he goes on then and gives the model prayer, and we'll start there uh, next time. Do you have any questions or comments? Sermon on the Mount covers a lot, doesn't it? We could start back again at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and go through it again and get more and more and more, could we not? Well, all right. I love you. I pray that you will have a blessed and safe week, a joyful week, and I'll be really glad to see you again next Sunday. Call me if you need me.